0: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Everyone Has a Story. It's the podcast that complements our two quarterly lifestyle magazines, Hello Sunshine Magazine and In Magazine. My name is John Caruso. Okay, on with today's episode of our podcast. Today's guest has dedicated herself to her career in ophthalmology with study and work in places like London, Singapore, Melbourne, and Sydney. Her father's influence in terms of the way he helped and supported his children early on with their careers has had a big influence on my guest today. And in turn, there's an element of giving back to the community and giving back to students who are just starting out. Everyone has a story. And today I'd like you to meet Dr. Sonia Morthy.
1: I grew up in Malaysia. Um, My dad was Uh, a planter. So we grew up in rural areas around Malaysia. He looked after mainly oil palm and rubber estates. So um, I suppose you could say I'm very much a country girl at heart. Um, Never really came to the big city, uh, which is Kuala Lumpur until I had to do medical school. So we moved every three years um, and had a very, very interesting life.
0: When you were a a child, what did you dream of doing? Did you always dream of medicine or was there something else that you wanted to do?
1: I guess it is the stereotypical uh, Indian parent approach to their child. That is, you either be a lawyer, a doctor or an accountant. (laughs) But uh, I think from a young age, I just uh, had this sort of uh, inclination towards helping others. Um, And perhaps I didn't really know that that was eventually going to take me down this path in life. But um, as time went on, it became more apparent that medicine was something uh, I would really enjoy doing. Uh, And just for the record, there's no doctors in my family whatsoever. My brother and I are the first two.
0: So your brother's in medicine as well?
1: Yes, my older brother, yes.
0: How many siblings make up the family?
1: I have an older brother and a younger brother.
0: Can you talk about this um you know you, you mentioned it this is it pressure to 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 follow the those career paths that you mentioned medicine law accountant um what what's what kind of formulates that that in terms of the family what, what is it culturally that kind of leads people down this particular path
1: well um indian families you need job stability uh, and you need to be financially secure and find a good partner, basically. <laughs> Those are the three uh, milestones of life, I suppose, and uh, different uh, families will approach that differently. Um, I have to say my parents didn't really pressure us into... Uh, they did or they didn't? They didn't. They didn't, yeah. They didn't pressure us into uh, doing medicine as such, and as I say, Dad comes from a agricultural background and Mum is a housewife, but um, I, was, I think in many ways... Uh, it it was always present in the background with perhaps the extended family or uh, cultural uh, influences around us and I thought well if I've got to pick one uh, medicine is it I couldn't bear the thought of being a lawyer and uh, numbers just bore me
0: <laughs> why why wasn't law of interest to you
1: oh gosh I think I just wouldn't have looked good in that white wig to start with <laughs> Um, and it it takes a certain personality type, I think, to sort of knuckle down and learn the letters of the law and apply that to, to one's uh, uh, day-to-day work. And that certainly wasn't my personality.
0: Yeah. A couple of podcasts back, I spoke to Professor Christian Hamilton Craig, who's a, a cardiologist here on the Sunshine Coast, and he considered law as well. But for him, there was a big... Uh, I mean, his, doc- his father was a doctor. But for him, it was a, a big, uh, the, the draw was to, to really help people. He said, in, in medicine, I have the ability to really help people. Did you feel that as well?
1: You know, I think there's more ways than medicine to make an impact on people's lives. I certainly saw that in what my dad used to do for the states that he managed. He had a, a big group of uh, workers that he had under his care. To not only manage the estates, manage their families, um, and uh, make sure that things ran smoothly on that front, and and one of the most radical things he did was to shut down the, um, I suppose the illegal alcohol shop that was uh, uh, on site because that sort of was ruining families and and financially a big burden Uh, and and I think I just saw the tenacity with which my father would approach things in life, you know, he had great conviction uh, but he did it with a big factor of care and the care there was not to fear the repercussion from the workers themselves but uh, more so what the implications would be financially if the alcohol. Shop continued the way it did. It was just draining uh, everything they earned, and families were suffering as a result. So, uh, dad has certainly, I think, thought me in more than one way. And uh, perhaps it wasn't a direct lesson as such. He didn't sit me down and say, Look, this is what I've done. Um, but it's just what I observed throughout life. And he was also very much uh, revered for being the uh, leader in uh, the many estates that he managed, you know. Uh, and I'm not just speaking in terms of uh the ownership of the people, but also culturally spiritually, Dad would be approached for any important cultural events uh, and any blessings that needed to take place. so I suppose Dad was sort of in a position where he was very well respected um and it certainly did influence my early years and whilst I knew I couldn't be an estate manager to the, to the extent Dad was, um, I think medicine was just one way I thought, well, I can start taking little baby steps. It's one patient at a time. Yeah, And that's that's sort of how I fell into it, I suppose.
0: So that from your dad, the, the, there was a sense of the right thing to do for the community. So if he saw an issue like alcohol... Um, then he took those measures, like he took that into his own hands to, 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 kind of write what was wrong in that local community. So I guess you're right. It's not just about a degree in terms of helping people, but there's a lot of avenues to helping people. You mentioned that you moved around a lot. Where were you then when you, uh, or where did you go to, to university? Where was your first university or college that you studied?
1: I went to a place called the International Medical University in Kuala Lumpur itself. So that is a twinning programme where you do the 1st preclinical years in Malaysia and then twin to a partner medical school This is a very common concept um, in Asian universities. It's a private university and the twinning aspect was appealing because one, it got us exposed to the greater world, um, gave us a sense of worldliness I suppose and also um, gave us a potential for a brighter future elsewhere.
0: At what point then was it that you switched because you you were going to study medicine and then you or you decided to specialize in ophthalmology when when did that happen, and how did that come about
1: so that was until I started my intern years so i I did my preclinical years in Malaysia, and then the whole time your head is in the books just thinking about getting through um, and the last two years were in Scotland, but as I neared the end of my clinical degree um, you know, the question is always on one's mind, surgery or medicine, and then with regards to surgery, is it orthopedics or the other end, which is uh, eyeballs. So having done a number of rotations in these fields, uh, I wanted something with more finesse, not as much blood. and <laughs> something that also <laughs> gave me uh, a good work lifestyle balance. I had delusions of grandeur, I think at one stage where I thought I might be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> right and uh
0: <laughs> but you couldn't stand the blood is that was that an issue
1: perhaps i couldn't stand the skull cracking so much <laughs> but uh in scotland you know there's a, a reasonable alcohol um issue on the weekends where one uh, was it a
0: distraction in scotland
1: yeah <laughs> it, uh, it sure was yeah. uh, Faults are common, people get these uh, brain bleeds that need to evacu- be evacuated at 3 a.m. in the morning right. um, and uh, I just thought to myself, you know, can I still do this 20 years from now and I guess that's a very important question to ask oneself yeah. when you're choosing the path of specialization. You've really got to love it because you're going to be doing it for a very long time. Yeah. And you don't want to burn out and sort of fall off the perch too early or do you s- yourself or your patients and injustice. Yeah. So it became apparent to me that, whilst this was interesting, it wasn't sustainable.
0: What were those years of study like? I mean, I really admire people that dedicate, especially medicine, my, my cousin's daughter has, I think, finished her uh, study in Rome to be a cardiologist and um, she's doing it in English as well, so, so she has more work opportunities. What, what were those years of study like? I mean, are they grueling, are they, I, I imagine to do medicine at that level is, is, is just, is it super difficult, or what was it like for you?
1: I wouldn't say it's super difficult. I would say that it takes a lot of discipline, um, hard work, and, um, and just to constantly be at it. I think consistency is key here. Unless you've got a photographic memory, which unfortunately I don't, um, medicine is a lot of memory work. Uh, but more so than that, the real learning i think began for me when i finished the degree you know you have all this theoretical knowledge behind you and my clinical degree was a little bit different in that we had a lot of hands-on in the last year of training which was great in uh, dundee Uh, but really when you start seeing patients uh, and doing the various sort of uh, tests or diagnostics that's involved with each and every one of them and and creating management plans for each and every one of them that's when you sort of learn, because that's going to, to change the cost of their health. And um, there's no greater learning than real life experience itself. So yes, it is hard years, but I wouldn't say I suffered through it. We had a really good time. We spent enough of time in the student unions. Um, we had a really good balance. So. Perhaps if I had done law, I might not have enjoyed it as much because there's far more memory work involved there. A bit drier. (laughs) And it's a bit drier, that's exactly right. But um, again, I think it always comes down to balance. I think if you're sort of uh, wanting that perfection and chasing it in books, then you're going to be really disappointed in real life when you come across a really difficult case or a patient that perhaps doesn't survive on you so learning failures along the way has been a very important uh, lesson as well Uh, because ultimately when we learn from that that makes us stronger and better clinicians do better for our patients
0: i was going to ask you um uh, what made you go to scotland from kuala lumpur to scotland i've only ever been to uh edinburgh for a week and that was many moons ago and i know people would talk about scotland or edinburgh specifically as being the, the home of modern medicine Wait for that, just wait for that car to go by, uh, Edinburgh being the home of modern medicine. What, what was the reason uh, from KL to, to Scotland?
1: Well, we could have twinned to a number of universities in the UK, US and Australia at the time. Uh, I chose Dundee University in Scotland uh, really for two reasons. One, because uh, it had a very good reputation and had the most uh, amount of hands-on experience as a medical student, which I thought was really important. Uh, second, it had the shortest duration of twinning, so it was only what another so it's only another two years on top of um, the initial two and a half years that I've done on the preclinical years, whereas all other medical schools were three years. Um, that ranged from the ones in London to Edinburgh. So essentially we were cramming three years of work into two years and that didn't bother me because I thought the sooner um, I get this done, the sooner I can get on with yeah. doing the rest of the specialization yeah. studies. And the third reason was cost. Cost was a big consideration as well. At that time the Malaysian Ringgit had plummeted and one pound equaled to seven Malaysian Ringgit. So I had to multiply everything by seven. I couldn't even afford a can of Coke, I remember. or a m- Bar of Mars because I'd multiply it by seven. So uh, my parents funded me throughout wow. all of this. I, at the time it was £16,500, which you multiply by seven per year uh, is a lot of money. So um, I felt I had to do what was uh, right by my parents also because having to fund three children through private medical schools and universities is is a big onerous ask and my dad at that point was still the only provider for the family yeah. so i thought i have it in me i'll i'll take on the challenge i'll do this and then i'll help my family when i start working so that that, that was a big drive for me
0: you mentioned that your brother uh, is also a doctor did he follow you to scotland
1: no he ended up going to india to do medicine and um, so he was uh, yeah Okay. somewhere else, but uh, financially the burden is, is, yeah. is still quite, quite great. My younger brother ended up doing aerospace engineering in Australia, but it, sort of, it, it all sort of overlapped the timelines. So there's lots and lots of um, funds required to put us all through this period of time, and I have to say hats off to my parents. They did really well for us.
0: Um, let's, uh, let's talk about your move to Australia. Now you've lived in, in, in a couple of other different countries over the last um, decade or so. But where was your, or why Australia? How did you end up here in, in Australia? And where was your first kind of posting or which city or regional area did you, did you where did you land?
1: So I really moved to Australia because I, I had done my junior years as a uh, doctor in Scotland. And then I moved down to England in Hampshire, started doing a year and a half of ophthalmology. At this point, however, it became apparent that my future really wasn't in the UK. Uh, I'm a tropical girl, I love the sun, uh, I didn't have any family in the UK, and it was getting tough to specialise and train and remain in the UK at that point, uh, primarily due to EU regulations. My brother was in Melbourne at the time, completing his aerospace engineering degree, so I thought, well, that sounds like a really nice place to go to, So. That's how I...
0: Not so tropical, not but, I, but I guess, um, <laughs> did, you, did you go to Melbourne or did you go... Because I can understand Cairns is a <laughs> tropical destination. Yeah. So did, did you end up in Melbourne first?
1: So I ended up in Melbourne, yes. So oh. My brother being there was obviously a big drive, but um, just Melbourne appealed because it was also such a cosmopolitan, uh, multicultural city. I'd never seen anything like that, to be honest. You know, UK cities are very, very different unless one lives in London. Um, everything north of London is is very different. <laughs> um, so that's where I landed. I had uh, pursued a job offer at the and Hospital in Melbourne which is a very respectable institution, really really prestigious and, and very grounded in history and uh, I just thought well I'll, I've got to work really hard now because uh, to be honest coming into Australia from the UK as a foreign graduate, one does not get onto ophthalmology training just by waltzing into it. You've really got to work hard because uh, the doors are pretty much shut to, to foreigners like myself. But uh, I was determined to get on um, and eventually made it on.
0: And how did you end up in Cairns? And, and tell us about the work that you were doing in Far North Queensland.
1: So I completed my training at Sydney Eye Hospital. The move was from Melbourne to Sydney. And following that, went to sub specialize in paediatric ophthalmology in Singapore and London. Uh, The issue with subspecializing is one pretty much gets uh, put into a pigeonhole in that you only do your subspecialty feel. Ophthalmology in Australia is not like that. Real-life ophthalmology in regional Australia is certainly not like that. You have to be able to deal with anything that comes through the door. You don't have your corneal specialist one floor up or your retina specialist one floor down to send patients to. This was uh, something that I suppose was... was, uh, on my mind as my sub-specialist training went on, so I felt that I needed to get back to Australia to an area where I was able to do everything and keep my skills up.
0: Yeah.
1: Again an opportunity arose in Cairns uh, at a private practice where locum work was required and uh, that's where I chose to go. There was a great need for pediatric ophthalmology in Cairns at the time and general op- ophthalmology as well. I mean, the catchment area goes up to Cape York and beyond. Uh, It's a really, really huge uh, geographical area, if you think about it, and also goes west to the Tablelands and to Georgetown. So having only two really high volume ophthalmologists there with a third one in private practice only really wasn't sufficient for the region. Um, I just looked upon it again as, as a great opportunity to start off my practice uh, and tend to, to give me that sort of exposure I needed to carry me through uh, my career. Yeah. So again, the tropics was calling, and I thought, what a wonderful opportunity coming from London back to the sun. Why not?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I actually lived and worked in far north Queensland for a period of time as well. I lived through Cyclone Joy. I think that was back in 1990. Did you live through any cyclones in your time up in far north Queensland?
1: We did, but nothing to that extent. Yeah. Um, it is a bit scary when when you hear the cyclone warnings coming through. But yes, fortunately, we never had too much of disruption from that.
0: And is this the first time you started working with indigenous uh, groups and indigenous? Because because that area, you know, that, that you outlined up to kind of Cape York Peninsula, there's. Is this where you started, and and this and this um, desire to do more for the indigenous communities?
1: that 's right, um, in fact, I learned the geography of the area pretty well and and how to pronounce Kawanyama properly. <laughs> in fact, patients also came from the um, Thursday islands and sort of yeah. those those islands as well but uh, again it 's not something I envisioned i would would do when I initially took the job on, but as time evolved. I also became a, uh, appointed as a visiting medical officer at the public hospital in Cairns, and in Cairns the setup is quite unique in that a lot of the public work comes through private rooms because the private rooms are equipped to see these patients, and the public hospital really is quite uh, deficient in in terms of their setup. So it just works better that way, and uh, for that reason I used to see Indigenous uh, children in the rooms and build them because that at least gave them an avenue to seek treatment and care and subsequently if they needed further things done whatever I could do I would do in Cairns otherwise would be referred on to Brisbane. So it wasn't a situation where they had to wait for years and years and years first of all to be seen and then to seek treatment because with children sight is precious. You've got a window of up to six years of age beyond which uh, vision is pretty much locked in and uh, whatever one does following that have a minimal impact so so this isn't a, a real game changer for me you know i thought here's s- skills that i have and i possess that i can actually put to use and help these children um, and that's really a very special ability uh, and one i don't take uh, for granted
0: well i want to explore that a little bit more because you're based on the sunshine coast now but you still travel how often do you go to emerald for example and was was the reason for that travel to continue your work with Indigenous communities?
1: I would say that um, it's not just Indigenous communities. You know, one thing I've realised is that in regional Australia, um, there's a, a, a huge population of uh, non-Indigenous communities as well that have difficulty accessing care, you know, and and, and a number of them might be... Uh, disabled, m- multiple social issues, um, or, you know, home circumstances might not permit it. So there's actually a whole array of things that limit people from seeking care. And whilst the Indigenous uh, aspect was, was a big push for this, uh, I feel like every Australian in, in, in regional uh, parts should be able to access healthcare equally. And this again, yes, was an opportunity to do something uh, for these pa- patients who otherwise would again be delayed in seeking uh, access to healthcare and treatment and so on and so forth. And a lot of the time the attitude is very much, well, there's not much we can do about it. We just have to wait and see what happens. And, and I feel that this really shouldn't be the case. If I can be there mm. on a fly-in, fly-out basis uh, to do something meaningful and worthwhile and it's certainly been received really well
0: and i know you've just come back but how does that work in terms of you going to emerald um did you put up your hand to 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 volunteer to go well i'll i'll continue this work to me that's important and and i'll go to this particular regional community to do this work
1: Mm. so the surgeon before me um was a surgeon from here on the sunshine coast who had been doing it for a number of years he was approaching retirement and he basically uh, had the job advertised through the College of Ophthalmology website. Now, when I first moved here, I was sort of looking how, on how to structure my work and how I could fit in some uh, public work in regional Australia. And when I saw this ad, I thought, well, that, that fits in perfectly. Now the requirements are flying out there once every two months, which which might extend up to once every three months. But when I go there, you know, we sort of work hard. We operate throughout the day um, and ensure that uh, first needs are met really and that patients are prioritized according to the uh, level of uh, vision difficulty. So it certainly is a very worthwhile um, endeavor and uh, one I hope to continue to do. Mm.
0: Can I talk about your husband, Harry? Uh, I met him at a uh, launch party recently, he's a lovely man. No, no but uh, what, what, the, the reason why I'm bringing him up, because you had a great quote in the story that we had in the winter issue about, and maybe you can um, or, or set me straight, something about it. Every, any man can swap a suit for, what was that quote again? Can you just refresh my memory? Oh gosh, but uh, it takes a special kind of man to swap a suit for home, li- home life again, to, to raise, because you've got two young kids.
1: That's right, uh, look, uh... Harry has really uh, (laughs) moved mountains to make this happen for me, I have to say. Uh, And I'm very lucky to have him supporting me this whole time. Uh, I think the quote was, uh, any man can put a suit on to go to work. This Mm. is what I say to my son, Ishan, who's turning six soon. But uh, it takes a special man to swap his suit for... uh, uh, to swap out of his suit, rather, Mm. and look after... uh, Affairs at Home and be MD of Home Affairs instead. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what, um, what was Harry's background? And, and where did you meet?
1: Oh, well, that would be Melbourne, yeah. <laughs> so uh, on Ligon Street in Melbourne where <laughs> I'm sure a lot of happy things happen. Um, his background was that he uh, used to do, uh, now let me get this right enterprise solutions for telecommunication networks uh, and deal with lots of corporate clients and mainly the banks so he would work for companies such as Telstra which is Australian or um, BT which is British Telecoms from the UK uh, or Verizon the American version and uh, basically uh, manage teams in uh, Southeast Asia uh, and Uh, Middle East as well as Africa so being based in Singapore which is where he was for ten years uh, that provided a a really good platform to sort of uh, do this sort of role uh, and and that's what he did for a very long time I think from the time he was in his late 20s -hmm. and prior to that he did he's been involved in sales basically so he's a salesman and that sort of um, yeah evolved to a higher level But really when I came into the picture, um, if you remember me saying earlier, I moved across to Singapore um, after my uh, uh, registrar training in Sydney to do a bit more subspecialist work. I think Harry sort of realised that in order for me to be able to pursue what I needed to do, someone had to take a back seat. Uh, And it was probably a a very uh, difficult decision for him to make at the end because one doesn't go from doing boardroom meetings to um, putting an apron on and making dinner at home day in day out. Unless
0: you love cooking of course. Unless (laughs) Unless you (laughs) are
1: Jamie Oliver yes (laughs) but but he did it because he could see that um, one there was a, a some real wholesome goodness with having him at home. He's been a, a pillar of stability for the children and for myself as well. And it's so important when the kids are young to have someone there uh, to be grounded in that way because sure, both of us could work and could be away and be doing all sorts of wonderful things and earning lots and lots of money. But you can't really uh, compare that to the time you spend with the children in these mm. formative years. It really is priceless. And the fact that he's been there is uh, just just wonderful. And it's evident because whenever I come home from work, my daughter doesn't run to me. She says, daddy, daddy, still after mm. seeing me. So that just shows the s- strength of the bond they have. You know, It is really something very special. And he's, he's really done such a wonderful job there. And it's because of his support, I can fly to Emerald despite having young children that I could still fly to Cairns, which I was doing now uh, up to early this year, um, every quarter, to see my patients there. Um, that I can go and operate late in theatre if I need to. Uh, these are these are all the things that are made possible because Harry is here yeah. to support me throughout the way.
0: Yeah. Well, to a degree, our household kind of operates in a very similar fashion. Um, do you and, and I guess you know but I don't know exactly what it because I've only met him the once your husband's like but it also shows a degree of uh, how, how I feel uh, of self-satisfaction and and kind of a, a very comfortable existence in terms of yeah uh, look I'm ready to do this and I can do this and I'm happy doing this do you miss um, spending time with your two children
1: well yes um, that is why I've taken the conscious decision to work only four days a week uh, and there are weeks where it's more hectic than others, for instance, when I fly off to Emerald or I uh, have to do a long operating list. But I make sure that that Friday at the end of the week is uh, my day-to-be mm-hmm. m- mummy at home. Um, my little two-year-old, she goes to daycare only Monday to Thursday. So it's certainly um, something I view to be very important and I'm, and I'm home on the weekends and we spend that time together because this is what my parents did for us you know just sort of going back to my childhood again my parents never never left us even for a day to go on a holiday ever Mm. and dad only ever left when he finally had to go to indonesia to work um, because he had to uh, put us all through medical school and in the private universities and the uh, uh, income just wasn't enough to support us in malaysia so dad went and lived in some of the most uh, rural terrain in Indonesia from Borneo to Sumatra Uh, and it's amazing what he has accomplished in that time and how he's managed to do it you know. Uh, it, It certainly taught me a few lessons in life and it just shows what you view to be most precious in life and how selfless a parent can be in trying to achieve this. And i'm only a fraction of the way there i think Uh, but um, i'm certainly trying my very best to do the same for my children as my parents did for me
0: ophthalmologist dr sonia morthy was my guest today on everyone has a story if you enjoyed the podcast if you think there's someone uh, a friend or a family member that uh, uh, might get something out of this podcast this uh, today's episode they may uh, relate to what we spoke about, then please feel free to share today's episode on your social media networks. Until next time, take care.